With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on Stick to Football, we are going to update you on all things Tua Tungavailoa. Talk about maybe the end of Phillip Rivers, at least with the Los Angeles Chargers. And we're going to fix the Chicago Bears and give you a little bit of a stock watch. Connor Rogers, welcome to the show, buddy. Yeah, dude, it's uh, it's it's good to be back on the midweek show. We got a little rest, a little energy now, but not for long because the tailgate tour rolls on this weekend. We will be at Stanford for Stanford Cal this Saturday, I believe kickoff local time is 1 p.m., but you know how Stick to Football does it. We will be getting there at, what do you think, Matt, 8 a.m.? That's usually usually how we do it. And, Matt, why don't you give the yep. people a little bit of the details on where our tailgate tent is going to be this weekend? Yeah, we've been tweeting out links, uh, photos of where we'll be. The the tailgate guys are who we're partnering with. We love this crew. And right off of El Camino Real, uh, there's Masters Grove. Uh, so if you're a Stanford person, you know this a lot better than I do. We're right there. So we're very close to the, the football stadium. Look for tent number five. It's these big white tents, tailgate guy signage. Very easy to find. We're tent number five. It's an enormous tent. We're going to have TVs, couches, food, all kinds of beverages, water, soda, beer, maybe cocktails. So come by. It's all free. Like You don't have to have a ticket to the tailgate. You don't even have to have a ticket to the game. We will have TVs on. So if you don't want to miss the morning games, we'll have game day on in the morning. We'll be showing the 11 a.m. games, um, 11 a.m. Central games, everything right up until kickoff when we go into the game. So it's going to be a great time. Come find us again. Whether you're a Cal fan, Stanford fan, doesn't matter to us. Just look for tent number five uh, right off of El Camino Real. Yeah, and we're not done there because the tailgate tour had an extension tacked on. It's like the 17-game proposal from the NFL. That happened at the tailgate tour, only we're definitely saying yes every time. We are going to be at the SEC Championship, uh, partnering with Johnsonville right outside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's on December 7th. They're going to have a cookout. Sean Alexander is going to be joining Stick to Football. It's going to be all kinds of fun. So if you're anywhere in the Atlanta area that weekend, you know where you want to be. Come hang out with Stick to Football in Johnsonville. But let's get into the actual football news, and let's kick things off with what we saw on Monday night in Mexico. Philip Rivers, Matt. Oh, baby. The, Not good. It just is very reminiscent of Peyton Manning's arm at the end of his career where there's just not much juice left in the tank. And I hate to see it. I love Rivers. I love the energy. Same. Even the drive to get them down the field. What a catch by Mike Williams, who uh, I think is actually a little bit underrated right now. Even if he might have been overdrafted, he, he's been very impressive. But, Matt, we got to talk about, is this the end of the Phillip Rivers era? You know, I think it's interesting for a lot of reasons because, number one, he's a free agent after this year. And, I I mean, I've said it for a couple weeks now, talking to a lot of people. The expectation was always that he would re-sign on a one- or two-year deal, give them time to kind of find a bridge quarterback, a quarterback of the future. But I think his play and their play as a team this year is a little bit eye-opening to where it is a little reminiscent of Peyton Manning, of Eli Manning, of guys once they hit – upper 30s, the arm strength just falls off. And with Rivers, who's always had such a funky throwing motion, I think we're seeing more of that now, like more sidearm passes, more knuckleball type throws to where he's not as fluid. It, you see the arm tightening up, and I think that is affecting accuracy. It's it's starting to affect his decision making as maybe he doesn't want to make some of the more challenging throws. And actually, uh, Melo and I watched the game last night, and I told him, I haven't seen Rivers like this chirpy in a long time. And he's always yeah. like a shit talker, but he just seems upset. And you have to wonder if he's, you know, kind of at the end of his road with this team. And, and if it will be a, a vice versa situation, Tom Telesco and Anthony Lynn have completely avoided drafting a quarterback of the future. I know they took Easton Stick very late, but that's not an investment in a real, you know, replacement at the quarterback position. This is something they have to start thinking about. And this ties in with everything else that's going on in the world of football right now. Where they are selected to pick 
They are not getting Joe Burrow. They are not getting Justin Herbert. They are maybe in mock draft Monday, we gave them Tua Tungavailoa. Right now, they would pick at 11 overall. And Tua is a pretty massive risk. I think everyone can understand that because we just don't know anything right now. So if you're the Chargers, you're really stuck in a bad situation here with Rivers being a short-term option at best and maybe gone this year in free agency. Well, here's my question for you, Matt. If that's the case... Is there he's under contract for one more year after this season? Is there any way that Tyrod Taylor gets a shot again? Oh man, I mean, maybe, but you know the NFL is changing to where what Tyrod was great at before might work a little bit better. If Anthony Lynn wants to go all in on that, like yeah, maybe that maybe that could work. But I just I think we've seen what Tyrod is, and like you know even back in Buffalo when he was playing really well uh, for some spurts. It just it wasn't good enough. So he's also getting a little bit older. So I don't know if that would be the the case if if somehow you know Rivers leaves and and I've said this before. I've heard he wants to get back to closer to where he's from in Northern Alabama. The Titans are going to have a need at quarterback. Maybe he gets back there. Tyrod's going to be thirty one next year, and, and next year is his last year as a Charger as well. So yep. I mean I think you. It's worth a shot, right? If you can't get one of the high-level quarterbacks in this year's draft, maybe you say, we'll roll with Tyrod Taylor and we'll draft a Jalen Hurts and try to develop him at the quarterback position. And all right, we're going to commit to this. Like the Cardinals, like the Ravens, we're going to commit to a type of offense. And I think you could even say this about the Chiefs. They committed to a type of offense that's different than what Andy Reid traditionally does. So I think it would be fun, and I, I think – Teams are going to have to be creative and think outside the box because the Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts, they're going to come off the board incredibly early. So like Baltimore, when they took Lamar Jackson, they have to say, okay, well, we like this guy. We think he can do this. We're just going to have to adapt our system to fit him. And I think if you're the Chargers, you might want to start having those conversations of we can't get uh, a you know, not a drop back passer because those are kind of dying, but a guy who's more of a pocket player like Burrow or like Herbert. So maybe we just shake things up and go with a Jalen Hurts who has struggled recently as a passer a little bit, but also, you know, still looks impressive at times. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Anthony Lynn was there in Buffalo all those great Tyrod years. He gets a head coaching yep. job and he brings Tyrod to the Chargers. He had a phenomenal start to his head coaching career with the Chargers. And I think. I know it's Tyrod Taylor. It's not some stud or anything like that. But I think he's a guy that can hold the fort if they want to take the risk on a Jordan Love, a Jacob Eason. One of those guys, as you said, Matt, that, hey, you did it in Mock Draft Monday. This is a team that can wait on Tua Tonga-Vailoa. That's what's so fascinating to me here. And I actually think that's a good landing spot for Tua if they can, you know, add some more pieces to this offensive line in the draft and free agency as well. There are a lot of different options that they can go uh, and attack at the quarterback position, but they're not going to be the only team. You know, we're, we're going to talk about the Chicago Bears in a couple segments. Another team that they're going to have to be creative filling their quarterback need because they don't have a first round pick and they don't have a lot of cap space. Speaking of Tua. Had surgery Monday. There's a video of him playing the ukulele. It's amazing. The man can actually sing. It's, it's pretty good. I, I would buy the mixtape whenever Tua puts it out. But we do have a little bit of a timeline. Again, Alabama's doctor, surgeon, is saying they expect a full recovery. In three months' time, Tua will be cleared for athletic activities. They expect that he will be throwing by the spring. What this tells me, though, Connor, and we expect this, he will not be ready for the NFL scouting combine. Um, and anything that he can do pre-draft is going to be pretty limited. Now, the good news, if there can be good news, is when this injury happens in mid-November, there is enough time, five months before the NFL draft. In five months' time, the hope is that you would have a pretty good picture of what the hip looks like. But as you and I were talking about before the show today, this is a small player. Two is not a big guy. This is a small player who's had three surgeries in two years. Two on the ankle, one on the hip. Lower body injuries terrify me on small players. We talked about this with Marquise Brown last year. Like the, a, a foot injury, a, any a knee injury on a small player, that's always going to be a, a red flag for me. So John Ross. John Ross. There's a lot of conversation about what should Tua do. It's it, it's just speculation and opinion at this point. But should he declare for the 2020 draft, there is enough time that he will be about two months into his rehab when the draft actually takes place. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, when you look at it, it it's kind of good news in a sense where I think the timeline is not the worst case scenario and that he will at least be able to attend things 
like the combine. Maybe we'll see him throw at some point if he can get in front of teams, even if it has to be past the combine, which is going to be interesting, Matt, because we know how it's usually end of February, first weekend of March. Maybe this is one of those things that goes down to the wire where, and you know, the NFL and the draft love drama. I mean, what if Tua has a workout the week of the draft and teams end up scrambling? He could. I mean, he could absolutely do that. When you look Uh, at the timeline, right? Right. It, It makes sense. And we've seen exceptions for guys with injury before where if he's throwing in three months, I mean, that's two months to prepare for some type of limited pro day. You know, I I have so many questions. And because this is medical related, because of HIPAA laws and privacy laws, there are going to be a lot of questions that we have that just don't get answered. Like, what are the chances of arthritis? What are the chances? What what is the percentage of future injury? How's his ankle, by the way? You know, that was the problem before this. So there, there are a lot of questions surrounded to it, but I will say, I know all of us here like wishing this dude the best because before he got hurt, he was, I think he was, you don't want to call anyone a lock in November. He looked like a lock to be a top five pick as long as he took care of business the rest of the way. So you, you hate to see it. I mean, at worst, it's going to cost him millions of dollars, or at best, it's going to cost him millions of dollars. At worst, he might never play again. So uh, I know we're all wishing him the best, and hopefully the rehab goes well. Let's take a break. We come back. We are going to look at Stockwatch like we do every Wednesday morning. It is Stockwatch time on Stick to Football. We got a couple guys going up, uh, a couple guys going down, and I'm going to start on the downside. We've talked a little bit about this in previous weeks, but Grant Delpa from LSU And I was looking at my big board this morning, adding in notes on players. And one thing that stood out to me was I still have Grant Delpit ranked relatively high. I I think right now he's sitting at number uh, 13 overall. You're like, ah, that's actually pretty good. Here's what I'll say about this year's draft class. I wish I could put like a brick wall between player 10 and 11 because it's actually like it should be like 10 to 20. Like there should be no one ranked 11 to 19. There's just such a big gap. So. This is one of those years where I'm like, 13 is actually kind of high, but the difference between 13 and 10 are actually going to be pretty significant on my board. But as far as Grant Delpit goes, Connor, we've talked about this a lot. You love the leadership. You love the character. He's a big guy, six foot three, or a tall guy, six foot three. But I have not loved the play. He has not had an impact game yet this year. He's been missing a ton of tackles. We haven't seen him really executing and showing any ball skills. You can even look at the Alabama game. LSU won that game. Grant Delpit was not a factor on defense. It was Caleb on chase on. It was Patrick Queen. It was uh, Vincent, the other safety. I don't know where Delpit's been all year. Uh, I've said before, it reminds me of Derwin James last year at Florida State. But Derwin was coming off injury. So you could at least excuse maybe he's trying to shake off some rust. With Delpit, it just seems like a guy who maybe got blew up a little bit by the draft process. If this is a top 10 pick, a great safety but he's no longer playing like what made him that prospect. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I mean, this is why he fell all the way to Dallas in our mock draft Monday, which is quite the fall for Delpit. That was kind of a top 10 lock for a while on mock draft Mondays. I think with Delpit, you nail it, Matt, where he's not wrapping up. He's missing a lot of tackles, specifically against a very good team like Alabama, where Najee Harris made him look foolish a couple of times at the second level of the football field. And I think Delpit was on such a special trajectory. He was a really good freshman, really good sophomore. He could do a lot in coverage. He could do even more at the line of scrimmage. And this year, you're just not seeing the big plays to do that. And I think, you know, what's kind of crazy is, and I'm guilty of this, when there's a really great player at a position for a school, and then you see one behind him that looks like he can be just as good, you fall into a hype trap. And with LSU, it was Jamal Adams was one of the best safeties we've seen in college football in a very long time. And then Delpit comes in, you go, well, that guy, wait till that guy behind him, wait till that guy behind him. And Delpit's a good player, but he's not Jamal Adams. And it's, it's a shame. We all fall into the hype trap. And I think that's what's happened with him a little bit. But one guy stuck up this week and it did not look pretty in the box score was Jake Fromm. And I'll tell you why Jake Fromm understands the tempo of a game when to take shots in a game. I thought that first quarter deep shot was a beautiful throw, one of his best I've seen of his career. And I think for Fromm, we've said this before, but with Tua's status up in the air, a lot of quarterbacks looking very, very raw, I'm not ready to sit here and say Jake Fromm gets a first-round grade from me. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is he might have a little more incentive to declare this year because so many teams need a quarterback. And I think in the right system with the right coach, 
Jake Fromm does the little things right where he can win you football games. And you saw that against a very, very good Auburn defense this weekend. I just really like what I see from Fromm. I wouldn't bet my franchise on him if I was a GM. But if he falls to the top of the second round, he's the kind of guy you take a swing at. I, that's what I think we get asked a lot. Why don't you guys like Jake Fromm? I, I know Mello, uh, who not with us on the Wednesday show, loves Jake Fromm. I like Jake Fromm. I know you do as well. It's just, like we said before, he's he's not going to impress you with his physical tools. He's going to impress you with his mind, with his game. I mean, I loved Teddy Bridgewater coming out of Louisville. because Same reason. Like, oh, he doesn't have the biggest arm. He's not the biggest guy. He's just so smart. He's accurate. Um, and I, maybe I've been burned a little bit by that type of player because we're seeing trait guys who are also good producers in college take over the NFL. So Jake Fromm is... It's still a tough evaluation. Uh, speaking of trait guys who produce in college, stock up for Justin Herbert. We have been, I think, collectively pretty tough on Justin Herbert at times. And there are still moments when I'm watching him play that I want to see more. But I think it would be irresponsible to sit here and not say that he's been impressive. And I know the doubters can say, well, it's just the Pac-12. And yes, it was just Arizona that they beat up on Saturday night. But some of the throws that he made in that game were really, really special. Just showing touch. an ability to attack downfield. I think there were times last year and even early this year where we didn't see Herbert play as aggressively as his traits would suggest that he could, but now he is. I don't know if head coach Mario Cristobal took the, the chains off a little bit and is letting him attack downfield more, or if this is just a mentality from Herbert, but he is being much more aggressive, and that's making me like him more, where I don't just see a guy standing back in the shotgun checking down. I like that he's taking some chances down the field. Yeah, I I agree. I'm not the biggest Herbert guy, but this was a weekend where if you want to look for the tape, if you're in that war room and say, hey, we're taking this guy with our first-round pick, this is the tape that you fire up for him. All right. Man, the draft is a flat circle here, Matt, but Travis Etienne, (laughs) stock up. It has been like this for him. Last year, I loved him when he wasn't eligible. Slow start this year. Kind of a wake-me-up-when-September-ends for Etienne. I don't know what it was. He starts out the season with over 200 yards in an August game. Then you look at his September games, all four of them. He didn't have more than 76 rushing yards in any of them. Since then, he's gone over 100 Every single time, he's gone over 200 before. He's come close to 200 another time. He's on fire right now, Etienne. And remember how you said on the Monday show, people aren't paying attention to how good Clemson has picked it up the last couple weeks. Trevor Lawrence, the receivers, they're riding Etienne again as well. Again, When that's clicking, it helps everyone else. And when you look at Etienne, I mean, just the last three games, 7.6 yards a carry, 8 yards a carry, 23.6 yards per carry. Etienne is absolutely on fire. I don't think he's the best running back in this class. I still think that's DeAndre Swift. But it would be a big surprise if he's not top three for me when all is said and done. One thing I love about Travis Etienne is that he's catching the ball more this year. Yes, he Um, is. I watched the Boston College game and the... Wake Forest game. Was that last week in Wake Forest? Yep. And yes, last week. He is catching the ball so much more this year. And that was one of my big questions on him last year was, I haven't seen this guy catch the ball a lot. But this year, he's really doing a good job. And I think one big reason why Clemson is clicking, they, that offensive line is coming together. And it we're is. seeing it in the run game. I mean, it was against Wofford, but he had nine carries for 212 yards. Like, that. that's ridiculous, no matter who you're playing. So I think that's why we're seeing Lawrence and ETN really step back to where we thought they were. It's because of the offensive line stock up for me, the last one. And this is where we live in a society and we do three podcasts a week where everyone wants instant analysis. And with player evaluation, you really can't do that. It's a process. It's a five month process, usually throughout the season and then postseason. And we have to take our time and let things marinate. And with AJ Epinesa, the year started and everyone was like, I thought you said this guy was good. He's not getting sacks. He's not getting TFLs. What's going on? Well, A.J. Epinesa the last three weeks has basically been unstoppable for Iowa. He is playing exceptional ball. And sometimes guys might, they're a slow start to the season for whatever reason. But he, it seems like, has just really been allowed to play instinctive football again, which is why I liked him so much coming into the year. I I have not moved Epinesa out of my top 10 all year just because I loved what I saw last year enough and was just waiting for it to kind of unleash this year. Well, it has. And A.J. Epinesa is still to me, looks like the second best edge in this class. And that's only because Chase Young was created in a laboratory and is not an actual human being. Epinesa's size, we talked about it on Mock Draft Monday, his ability to play defensive end, to bump down and play in a 4-3, 
He's he's exactly what you want in a modern defensive lineman. Yeah, his speed to power is absolutely ridiculous. And you saw him whip up on some of those interior players this weekend. So an awesome bounce back performance for Epinesa. All right, last one here for stock up. It's DeAndre Swift. Yes, two Georgia players from me, but I was in Auburn, so I'm biased for this one. Listen, when you look at a running back, you want to see how they do against future NFL fronts. And Auburn has a lot of future NFL players on that defensive line, one in Derrick Brown that's going to go probably top 15. And Swift averaged over six yards a carry. He looked explosive. He can really do everything. What you love about Swift is you could probably plug him into any scheme. I would like to see him probably in an outside zone at the next level, but we can't all get what we want. But I think Swift can be a good interior runner. He could be a good outside runner. He has good bursts, good vision. He makes guys miss, and he knows how to finish runs at the second level with power. So a really, really strong season for DeAndre Swift, and this might have been his top performance against a good opponent. Like I said, if DeAndre Swift ends up in Kansas City, it's just not fair because he's so tailor-made for that system and that scheme. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to fix the Chicago Bears, and boy, oh, boy, do they need our help. The Chicago Bears were a team expected to win the NFC North. It looked like a Super Bowl contender. Mitchell Trubisky was the hottest MVP bet at the Caesars Sportsbook all summer long, but by the time the preseason got here, and I'll take, I'll raise my hand on this. In May, I was like, I think the Bears could make the Super Bowl. By July, when we had to put in our final uh, 2019 season projections, I was—I didn't even predict them to make the playoffs because everything you heard coming out of Chicago was, this it doesn't look good. They are really struggling in camp. And you would hear all the time, like, well, Tr- Mitch is struggling, but it's because our defense is so good. But then, like, anyone you talk to who was actually there observing, be like, the defense doesn't look that good. He's just, he's not playing well. And so here we are, the Bears are reeling. It's a bad team right now. They have no first-round pick because of the Cleo Mack trade. They have no third-round pick. They do have two second-round picks. But, Connor, this is a team that right now, on paper, it looks bad. They have $13.5 million roughly in salary cap space. They have a collection of draft picks. They have, um, let's see, right, they have seven picks, but only two of those are in the top 140 right now. It's not good. Where do you start with this team that has one year, one more year of Mitchell Trubisky, who's not going to get a fifth-year option, I would not think, and very limited resources to try to find someone else to play the position? Well, I want to kick this back to you, Matt. This is what we have to start with. Does Matt Nagy and or Ryan Pace survive? That's the question Bears fans have to be asking themselves right now because when it comes down to it, when you're the GM, you often don't get to pick two franchise quarterbacks. You get to pick one. And if it fails as miserably as it has for Mitch, you probably are going to get let go. And I don't know if the Bears are ready to do that. I'll say this. Like, let's go through their last couple drafts, right? Because that's the fair way to do it. Even when you do that, when it comes down to it, everybody will look at the trade-up for Trubisky. That's the problem. So Ryan Pace has been the GM since 2015. You know, there's been a lot of big misses early on, man. They haven't they haven't hit. You can't say confidently they've hit on a first rounder. Maybe Roquan Smith, but he hasn't been great this year. There was that little absence midseason as well. Like Kevin White, Leonard Floyd, Mitchell Trubisky, Roquan Smith. Those are your first round picks. And the best one was an off ball linebacker, which a lot of them don't go in the right. top ten. And you look at I mean, the Adam Shaheen pick looks really bad. I know Eddie Jackson was a great find. Three Cohen was a great find. Yeah. But you got to hit on some of these guys at the top, and most notably the quarterback. And I think, you know, the offensive line has fallen apart. I don't know. I think the Bears are a really historic franchise that has a lot of pull. And maybe an opportunity here where somebody sees the roster, specifically the defense, and they go, I'll go in there because if I get this offense right, do they have to blow it up, Matt, or do just one of these two guys need to be let go? It's it's almost comical to me because sitting there on day two of the 2017 NFL draft, I I mean, you sit beside me during the draft and you know, like I'm furiously texting people while we're on camera, you know, trying to get information, trying to get stories. It's a huge part of our draft coverage, and it's my favorite part of our draft coverage. And as we were sitting there, I got a text from a person who is very high up with a team, uh, second in command, and said, uh, Ryan Pace just got fired with this draft. 
He said that day two of the NFL draft. I showed you the text. You know who sent it to me. You can vouch for how high-ranking this person is. And that text, that tweet, Last year, people were just trashing it of, oh, my God, you know, please don't ever use this source again. Is that guy still in the NFL? How wrong could a person be? This year, people are retweeting that tweet saying, I, I the Bears need to hire whoever that was because they had the foresight to say trading up for Mitch Trubisky was a bad idea. Drafting Adam Shaheen from Ashland College in round two was a bad idea. And we see that now, a team that has mortgaged their future on Khalil Mack and Mitchell Trubisky. And I still love Khalil Mack. He did not register a stat against the L.A. Rams this week. Not a tackle, not a pressure. I don't even know if he farted in the wind and it (laughs) affected someone. I don't know what he did on the field. He really didn't do anything. So I think that, yeah, you have major questions about Ryan Pace's ability. This is a dude who came from New Orleans where he was more of a cap guy than a scout. And... I think it's fair to have questions. Like you said, we are, we've seen five draft classes and have very limited impact from those. So I feel like I'm in a weird position to call and say, you know what, Ryan Pace, yeah, you got to go. Because when you trade up and miss on the quarterback, it doesn't matter how good the defense looked or how close you got last year. It's about the future of this team. And you've also put them in a salary cap situation where they cannot easily go out and find a replacement for Trubisky. So I think Ryan Pace is at least on a very hot seat. I think Matt Nagy, who did not draft Mitchell Trubisky, he came in after the fact. I could see him staying, but he's going to have to show the tough decision-making ability to say, I I don't trust Trubisky. I want someone else. And here's what my offense would look like with someone else. Because right now, and I've followed Matt Nagy for years. He was in Kansas City. What they're doing offensively in Chicago, I don't recognize. Like, that's not Kansas City. It's not what Andy Reid does. It's not what Doug Peterson and Frank Reich do. I don't even know what this is. Trubisky's obviously holding them back. But I think for Nagy to save his job, he's going to have to say, all right, enough is enough. This guy's not getting it. Yeah, I'm with you there. I I think when you look at Nagy, he's safe. Because they won 12 games last year. They have not looked prepared many times this year. It's been a rough four and six. It really has. But when you look at it, you make a great point, Matt. He's probably sitting there with ownership and going, listen, get me my let me get my quarterback and I'll get this right. And I think Pace, you know, even though he's on an extension that takes him through 2021, that doesn't mean much in the NFL anymore. It's not like they're ripping up a six year deal right there. I, I do think it could be potentially over for Ryan Pace, but As we've seen many times, I know locally here, the Jets have this problem. Washington has this problem. Bad franchises have this problem where when you let go of one of the GM or coach and the new one is stuck with the other, that's a gigantic risk. And that's what the Bears are going to have to, uh, you know, assess. And they're going to have to speak with Nagy if they move on from Ryan Pace and say, hey, who is in the league right now that you'd want to work with? Now, this is interesting because I could already see you perking up. There's somebody in Kansas City that probably makes a lot of sense, right? Do you mean me? Yeah, that's who I was talking about. <laughs> no, Mike Borgonzi makes a ton of sense here. I mean, it's it's just the natural progression. And yeah, if they want to get someone that Nagy trusts and, and get a scout, you say, okay, Matt, like you need someone who can go find players to fit your scheme. That's how Harmony works in a front office. Look at Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh right now. Like they're fucking clicking like perfect because they understand each other and I think with Borgonzi you have a natural a guy who is has come up through a very good stable organization he understands drafting he understands valuation which I think is the the most important factor for a, a potential GM candidate it's not just about being a good scout when you're the guy handed in the card it's about is this player good value at this pick which is something I think the Bears have messed up with Ryan Pace so Berganzi makes a lot of sense. Um, obviously, if Nagy wants to give me a call, I, I will at least listen. And you and Mello can do the podcast from now on. But let's look <laughs> at some of the quarterback options they have. Again, not great because no first-round pick. They do have two second-round picks, but it's unlikely they could trade either or both of those picks to get high enough to get a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow. And There's no way they're getting Joe Burrow. So what they can do, Cam Newton will be on the trade block. Teddy Bridgewater, free agent. Philip Rivers, free agent. Marcus Mariota, free agent. Ryan Tannehill, free agent. None of those names are super sexy. If Cam Newton's healthy, we've talked about this at length, so we don't need to jump back into it. Uh, He makes the most sense to me, but you're probably going to have to trade to get him. With no third-round pick and no fourth-round pick, you have to wonder if it's 
that second one of those two second round picks that would go to Carolina for Cam Newton. That's the move for me. That's where this really starts and ends. I, I don't think Teddy is going to Chicago. I don't think that's. I don't, I don't know. I'd be really surprised it if Teddy went. Like to, it doesn't seem like a fit. I think the most ideal scenario is Teddy takes over New Orleans. I'll just say it over and over and over again. And Teddy cares a lot about fit because he passed up on, I believe, more money from Miami last year to be the starter there. Smart move, Teddy. Brilliant yep. move. That worked out really well for him. I think he'll have that foresight again wherever he goes. Cam would be, I think, if healthy, Cam would be great for Chicago. They do have the second-round ammo to, to go get it done. When you look at the other options, like Mariota, no thanks. No thanks. I mean, how much of an upgrade is that? It's not. Phil, Phil Rivers is probably just going to hang it up. I think when you look at it, it's Cam or you're going into the draft. And that's, that's pretty tough, man. It doesn't leave you with a lot of solutions. It almost makes it like you have to get it done. Yep, it does. You can't head into this draft and say, uh, we'll take Jalen Hurts and we'll figure it out. Or we'll take Jordan Love and hope that, number one, no hope way. that they're there. Because you don't pick until 45 overall. So it, it is difficult. I think, like you said, the, the move here is, if as long as Cam Newton's healthy, you can get him. We've talked before about, yes, he counts $19.1 million against salary cap. They're sitting at 13.7. There's a gap there. Kyle Long is up for a team option. I love Kyle, but he's been hurt. He hasn't played well. He's most likely gone. That's going to save the Chicago Bears a good amount of money as far as next year goes. Leonard Floyd, fifth-year option, probably not picking that up because guess what? We need to save more money there as well. So you can look at Kyle Long, Adam Shaheen, and Leonard Floyd. If they're not on the team next year, that's enough money to go get a Cam Newton and still have flexibility to you know sign a couple free agents, to get another corner, to maybe get another pass rusher, to get another receiver. Areas where they've tried to draft and haven't been able to find hits. So I think you know Leonard Floyd, that's $13 million that you free up if he's not on the team that's next year. a lot of year. money. So and then guys like Allen Robinson could be restructured. You know, Eddie Goldman hasn't played very well this year after having a really good 2018 season. You have to wonder if he would restructure at this point. I know that's a new deal, but you know, Charles Leno, uh, another guy, has not played well at left tackle, and you can't cut him because it would be seven and a half million dollars dead cap. But you can talk to these guys about a restructuring a little bit. Prince of Mukamara, you save nine million dollars by cutting that dude. That's a lot of money for a team that's cap strapped. So I think they can be smart. And maybe, you know what, there's no dead cap if you trade Leonard Floyd. Maybe you just ask the Panthers, hey, do you want a 2021 third rounder in Leonard Floyd for Cam Newton, who you guys aren't going to keep anyway? I think that's an interesting conversation. Now, let's jump into a mock draft. Again, this team has no first round pick, so that is huge. With two second round picks, I'm assuming they fill the quarterback need in free agency or a trade. So I'm not taking a quarterback early here. I want offensive tackle Jedrick Wills. Plays right tackle at Bama. I think he stays there for Chicago where Bobby Massey is a great dude, but an average player should probably be a backup. Jedrick Will solidifies, helps this run game a little bit. You see how important Mitchell Trubisky is in the Kansas City offense? The Bears need that too. They need to be able to run the ball right-handed. They need to be able to free up the tight ends to get into their route trees and not be blockers. Wills helps with that. And then pick 52, like I said, I would cut Prince of Mukamara. Draft A.J. Terrell from Clemson. I think he could come in and be a good rookie starter, especially in this scheme. I think he's very physical. We see a smooth transition in his back pedals. He's a good player that's fallen under the radar a little bit right now. So I went with a little bit of a different route here, and that was the what if things don't work out for them in the trade market or free agency? What is Chicago It's good to do? play that way. Yeah, we, we got to show both sides of the coin here. What if Jake Fromm is sitting there at the 45th overall pick? Now, for me, that might be a little bit of a slide. I think he'll go at the top of the second round. But you never know. He's not the most overwhelmingly physical kind of guy. I've already talked to some teams that are like, yeah, we'll probably grade him as a great long-term backup. A lot of guys with those grades end up starting at some point in their careers and go much higher than you think. When you look at Fromm, if he's there at 45 and the Bears are stuck with this roster that they have Trubisky coming back this year – you got to have someone that is just more calm, more composed, somebody that can control the offense, somebody that can give guys like Allen Robinson a chance in this offense. I would take the swing at Jake Fromm if I was Chicago, and then moving on seven picks later, second round again, pick 52. I went with Prince Tiga Wanego. Hopefully I said the last part right. Nailed it. When you look at Prince at Auburn, he's big, nasty, offensive tackle with a lot of tools, a little raw coming into the year, but I think we've seen growth. 
over this year. And I think when you look at Prince, he's going to be at the Senior Bowl. Last time I checked. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Matt. No, he will. Yeah, he'll be at the Senior Bowl. A lot of good defensive line reps. We'll see him against Javon Kinlaw, his teammate Derek Brown, who gives him a lot of work in practice. I think when you look at him, he's going to be one of those second-round guys that legitimately has long-term starter potential. Yeah, I like that fit for them a lot. Now, no third-round pick, no fourth-round pick. So the Bears are going to be taking some naps and uh, probably I don't know, get in a game of golf or something because you're going to have a little bit of a break in the draft room. But they do have three picks in round five that are right now all projected to be really close together. So I'm going to address, again, some areas where you have guys that are current free agents, like Haha Clinton Dix. So I'm taking Shaheem Carter, a safety from Alabama, the other safety at Alabama, a very good, strong safety prospect. So now you have Eddie Jackson and Shaheem Carter in the back end. I want to take another receiver because I think we've seen guys like Anthony Miller has not stepped up. They need someone opposite Allen Robinson. So a little bit of a project in Kalijah Lipscomb from Vanderbilt, but someone who, when their quarterback was healthy, was a very good producer. And then I'm always going to be a fan of taking pass rushers, especially in a 3-4 base defense. So Carter Coughlin from Minnesota, those are my three round five picks where round five, listen, if the guy makes the roster, you're pretty happy about that. But I I like these three round five players because I actually believe there are some starter traits in each of them. Now, yes, there are some uh, weaknesses holding them down, but these are three dudes that I think could play in the NFL. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I start there at wide receiver as well. I like what Taylor Gabriel can do for you in the slot. He's under contract like Allen Robinson on one side, but Let's go with another big-bodied wide receiver, and that's Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards is a go-up-and-win-the-football kind of target that could throw people around after the catch. And if you're going to structure an offense with a limited quarterback, say you do get from, or you have Cam Newton who takes vertical shots, you have two big guys on the outside, Robinson Edwards, Gabriel working the slot. I think that's enough to work with, especially with Tariq Cohen and David Montgomery in the backfield as pass catchers. Keeping it moving in round five, listen, you can't you can't build Rome in one day. I know this team has a lot more offensive line needs. I took Prince Tiga at the second round. Now let's go interior offensive line. Tommy Kramer from Notre Dame just keeps stacking. They need bodies. They've lost a yeah. lot of bodies this year to injury. They need more depth in the back in the interior offensive line there. Also in round five, God, it's just a round five party for the Bears here. I went with linebacker Joe Bocci. He's gonna fall after the suspension he had a great start to the year I still think he has good instincts I don't I mean when you look at the suspension this is one of those times where teams actually might be a little bothered by it but at the end of the day the guy could still play at the minimum he could be a special teamer and a backup yeah and again you're drafting this late like okay he's probably you're gonna have something injury athletic limitation PED test, drug test, something like that. So round six, uh, I went linebacker here. I do think this is a need for them because we have seen Roquan Smith take that absence. Danny Trevathan's a free agent. So Kaliki Hudson from Michigan would be my pick. And then round seven, I'm finally going to draft a quarterback. People who listen to the show three times a week know my philosophy on this. You should draft a quarterback almost every year. And that's what you do here because you never know when you're going to hit or even if you can just flip the guy for assets, it's a smart move. I'm going to take Anthony Gordon, a one-year starter from Washington State. Not the biggest dude in the world, but I think he has a pretty fun arm uh, and Mike Leach is going to let you sling it around. So at least get, get a guy like this in camp and see what you've got with Anthony Gordon. All right, round six for me. Yeah, they do need more at corner. I liked what you did in the second round with A.J. Terrell. I'm going with Lavert Hill here from Michigan. Once again, it's tricky for the Bears because after some cuts to open up some cap room for a potential quarterback, it might open the door for some more needs. But at least Hill is a guy that has a lot of playing experience in the Big Ten and might be able to actually get on the field for a day three pick next year. Round seven, let's have some fun here. Speaking of the senior bowl, safety probably going to be linebacker, as you told me before the show here, Matt Kyle Duggar, a Division II prospect. When you look at Duggar, he is a gigantic safety. And in Division II football, he truly does look like a man amongst boys. So we're excited to see him at the Senior Bowl, see how he can run with those running backs and tight ends and get more of a hybrid player for this already impressive Bears defense. Oh, I love Kyle Duggar. That's one of my, that's been one of my like day three draft crushes this year that you guys are going to be so tired of hearing me talk about. But uh, you're here for it. So let's take a break. Come back. we got four awesome draft on draft questions to end the show with. It's draft on draft time. We're going to kick it off with our buddy, Pat Chamberlain. First question, who are some potential candidates to skip bowl games this year to protect their NFL future? Uh, this is always a tough question because we saw last year. It's like, it's not just the top guys. You know, we've seen average players, Malik Jefferson at Texas, skip their bowl game. So it's not just uh, Isaiah Simmons. Well, they'll be in the playoffs, so he wouldn't be a good candidate anyway. But uh, Derek Brown at Auburn. 
Like that would be one that would interest me, but he just doesn't seem like that kind of dude, you know. CD Lamb at OU, maybe if they don't make the playoff, because especially right now he's dealing with a head injury. I could actually, I think CD Lamb is a really good one because you don't want to risk it's a great. lower body injury. Um, you've you've been a little bit banged up already this year. I think CD Lamb it, it would be near the top of my list. Um, CJ Henderson probably will just because he seems like that kind of guy, you know, he's just a Florida like, guy worried about myself. We're not good yep. anyway. So deuces. I'm out of here. I'll tell you one that should skip. And I don't think he will is Jonathan Taylor. Oh, right. Jonathan no, he's Taylor trying to should. get that 6,000 yards. Jonathan Taylor should not play in whatever fucking bowl game. Wisconsin is in get, get come right. on the Alamo bowl. Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, don't I don't do know it. if he's coming out, actually. That's true. I, I've been that surprised has been by up that. in the air. That has been up in the air for a while. It's, yeah. yeah, CD is like the big name you have to put. Hey, shit. Alabama might be in a bowl game this year, Matt. I know. Yeah, like all those guys. Although Nick Saban would literally kill them. So like, if shit. Jerry Judy tried <laughs> to sit out the Sugar Bowl or whatever. Like I don't I don't think a s I don't think a single wide receiver that's eligible for Alabama would play. Judy no. and Ruggs, no way. Without Smith, probably not. No. Fuck that. The no Mac way. Jones and Jalen Waddle show. Josh, you shouldn't. That. Yeah, that's a fun. It's a fun question because it makes a lot of people mad. Like people get so triggered by guys not playing in bowl games. But Alabama could still make the playoff. I know a lot of people sure. are like Bama's done, and maybe no, because no. two is hurt. But if LSU beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, which we will be at, then Alabama would be as long as they went out, they would probably be number four. Yeah, that's so, true. I, I don't know. It's Man, fun. I'm. I fun to, if you remember, I picked Georgia to win the SEC. I do remember that. I'm like just sitting here, like maybe you never know. Probably not, but you never know. <laughs> this is like when I picked the Jets to win four games, and and I think Mello did as well. And they're people like, "There's no way." And then like all the Sam like Darnold crazy events mono. that happen, and they're going to win like four or five games. It's like, well, yep, no way I could have seen this happening the way it did. But the end result, but I'll take it. Exactly I'll right. I'll take it. All right, Justin Tarbell. Been a while, buddy. People used to hate on John Lynch as a GM. With San Francisco's success this year, has that perception changed at all? Uh, I don't know because I think you could look at what, like, why are the Niners winning? They've This team's had a ton of early draft picks, and those guys are playing well. Like DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and Nick Bosa were all very early draft picks, and they're playing well. They traded for and somehow got the bargain of the century Uh, for a very good quarterback, and they got him for a second-round pick. So I think when you look at the Niners' drafts, you're not going to be blown away. Like I I wrote an article that came out uh, Tuesday morning, and it was the best draft classes of the last decade. The Niners aren't on there. Like They just have not drafted that well. They've had some good players, but right now you don't have that overwhelming class of like, oh, my God, this was the turning point. You know, like Dante Pettis is a bust. Solomon Thomas is a bust. Reuben Foster is a bust. Um, they took C.J. Beathard in the third round. That's a bad pick. Bad so pick, Joe Williams. Yeah, there's still a lot of bad picks here. So 2017, I guess, was the first year for John. So uh, you can't say like DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead were his, but those still really early picks, and that's why they're playing well. I think what saves yeah. John is that Mike McGlinchey, even though he's been hurt this year, was a good pick. Fred Warner in the third round yep. has proven to be a good pick. George and, Kittle. Yep, George Kittle, great pick in round five. So he's had those like mid to late picks that are kind of saving his resume right now. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That's really what it comes down to is that they've hit on some back-end guys, and it feels like this year was the first year he did it the standard way. Like Nick yep. Bosa is, a, is an absolute stud, second overall. Debo Samuel in the second round is really, really coming on lately. Jalen Hurd is hurt, and you can't sit here and go, we couldn't have seen that coming because Jalen Hurd was always hurt in college. But I like that risk in the third round. Yeah, This was the year where it's like, okay, the top picks hit. But all those other years, yeah, he did struggle on some really key picks. So it's, it's somewhere in the middle. Now what I will say is this. If Kyle Shanahan ever gets someone in there that's not average at this but good at this, they'd be a problem for a long time. I yeah. mean, oh, yeah. if you give Kyle really good personnel, not just good personnel, they they could be in the NFC Championship game every year. Yeah, that's how the, good he is. The defense is so good as well. Like, I mean, I don't, it's going to be hard to keep everyone, but... 
I mean, it's good. It's really good. But they, they need to find someone who can scout corners and receivers because that's where they need help right now, and that's a hard position to, to fill. So <laughs> uh, I don't know anyone like that, though. Thomas yeah, neither do I. wants to know, how close are Jerry, Judy, and CeeDee Lamb as draft prospects? On my board, they are closely ranked. Uh, Judy's at three, Lamb's at nine. As I was saying earlier in the show, though, there are some gaps where it's like, oh, three to nine doesn't seem that big. It actually kind of is, and that will be reflected when we put number grades on players. For me, they are, I mean, I like them both a lot, but I don't think they're that close. So I have Judy at two and CD at five. And, well, CD will move up now over Tua. So it'll be like two and four. And that'll probably, it'll a lot of change. I think they're close, man. And it's tricky because they're so different. That is they're a big so part of it. They're so freaking different. Like Judy, the routes are flawless. He's electric after the catch. There's some really annoying drops lately that I think are kind of uncharacteristic. Right. But you still sit there and go, okay. And with CD, it's like he just wants to bully the shit out of you. And there's so many times for college receivers that do that, and you go, that ain't going to work at the next level. With CD, it is. He yeah. he wins. He wins at the catch point. He wins in his routes by just beating the shit out of you. He'll run through you. And there's a different dog in CD. I think Jerry Judy is a little more athletically gifted, while I think CD has an extra edge that's just nasty, and that's why I think they're close. I wish I could give C.D. Lamb Judy's agility and speed, and I wish I could give Judy C.D. Lamb's like mentality because yeah. that like they would be the perfect receiver if you blended them together. I think the reason that I like Judy so much better is a like, good route running translates. It uh, always exactly. does. He's that's safer. Why, He's significantly look, safer. If you look at the receivers that I've liked and hit on, it's because they're good route runners and they don't drop the ball. That's where Judy scares me because he's body catching more this year, and it's just it, – there's no reason for it. I mean, he's not that type of receiver. With Lamb, my only question is, can he separate at the next level? Because he's not a fast guy. If you watch him play, I mean, he does catch a lot of wide-open passes. I think some of that is the scheme. So I don't watch C.D. Lamb and say, like, shit, that dude's a clean route runner. It's more, God, I love him after the catch. And I, I love his catch radius. Like He's just, he is always physical. He's not afraid of traffic. He'll catch the ball around, you know, if there's a bunch of guys around. But a lot of times he's wide open, and I think that's not his fault. The scheme's just really good. So I wonder how well he'll be able to separate against good corners the next level. But like you said, they're both top 10 players for me, and I, I really think they're fantastic. I don't have a vote. If I did for the Bolitnikoff Award, it would be CeeDee Lamb. He's the best receiver in college football this year. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's also one of those times where, you know, and we probably will get these guys on the podcast, I hope we do, um, where you really would love to just talk to them and and feel them out and see yeah. what makes them as good as they are. And sometimes that could be a big difference because a position like wide receiver, as we've seen over the years, has all kinds of personalities. And that can really dictate how good a guy is going to be. I think it's something that people loved about Debo last year. Yep, Debo was Physical. all business. All business. Physical, nasty, great demeanor. And you're seeing that translate already under Shanahan. All right, last question of today's show from David Botsford. The Steelers need a playmaker wide receiver to go with Juju. Should they draft one in the second round or sign a free agent? And he's put in parentheses Des Bryant or Terrell Pryor. That's a good so turn. neither of those <laughs> neither of those free agents um, or would be guys I would go after. I've had Steeler fans ask me a lot lately, like, "Hey, how can we fix this this year?" You can't really uh, because you know it's just it's after the trade deadline. Anyone that's out there on the street is not that good of a player. And I think you can look at the upcoming free agent class at wide receiver. It's not that good. I mean, you want to sign Robbie Anderson, who's going to be twenty eight years old. I I mean, they're they're some speed at receiver, but. There's a risk to that. You know, you're going to sign Amari Cooper. So I think round two is where you do this, or even, you know, round three. This is a really deep wide receiver class, something we've talked a lot about before. The Steelers um, couldn't do it in round three. Excuse me. They don't have a round three pick right now. So they only have five selections before compensatory picks are awarded. So it does make it difficult. But at pick 47, I mean, there's a chance you could get a LaVisca Chenault who's going to give you speed at the position. You know, that they're, they're a good group of receivers. I think guys might even fall a little bit because of it. But Brandon Ayuk, Arizona State, yeah. tailor-made to be a Pittsburgh Steeler with his run-after-catch ability. Michael Pittman Jr. at USC, not a speed guy, but a very physical receiver. So there, there are a lot of round two players that I would put in there. Uh, we got to see what happens with Sage Surratt at Wake Forest, who's hurt now. 
out for the year. Uh, I believe he will declare as a redshirt sophomore. KJ Hamler, another redshirt sophomore at that Penn was State. Who I was thinking. So there, there are some good receivers in round two. You know, you got the Michigan guys. I think Donovan Peoples Jones will probably be a second round pick. So it's a good year to need a receiver. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see. You know, Pittsburgh, even in that position, if they wanted to try to trade back, not far, but trade back to try to get a couple more picks, because where they have needs this year, I think matches up really well with this draft strengths. Yeah, I would love to see them get someone that could stretch the field and give these guys a little more room. And, and KJ would really fit the bill for that. And I think Ayuk would, too. I think you need somebody that's going to run really well. And the problem is you could say that about all three of the Alabama guys, but they're all going in the first round. So yep. you can you can cross that one off unless the Steelers want to be ultra aggressive again and come back up for a player, which I don't think they need to do. That franchise no. develops wide receivers as good as anyone, and I think they're they'll be in a good place. The bigger question for me is, you know, Big Ben will be back next year, but at some point this team has to think quarterback of the future. And it's it, not it's, Mason Rudolph. <laughs> it is most definitely not Mason Rudolph. Man is man. I, I'm not even going to get into it because we could yeah. do another hour on the whole fight situation. But I am not a Mason Rudolph fan. I would just like to say that. That's something we were talking about uh, the other day is, uh, nope, not at all. And it's surprising how many people around the NFL are not either before the fight even. but I uh, thought the same thing. And, and this is not absolving Miles Garrett of anything. In any way. In any possible way. But. There were definitely some problems on Mason's end in the beginning of that fight. Yeah. It, listen, it went both ways. Mason Rudolph's that guy who's like your buddy, and he like starts talking shit in a bar, and you're like, damn and it. And then you're stuck in it, and you're right. like, what the fuck? Can Here we, we go, just go right. out one night and not get right. into a fight? Like, why do you got to run your mouth? Yeah. Yeah. And then someone now, the like the day, can't hits him with brass knuckles, and then you're pissed because like, hey, that's not okay. <laughs> that's my friend, and you just assaulted him. Right. What now a mess. I have to jump in. What a goddamn oh, mess. Man. Didn't yeah. see that coming in the blind review. <laughs> right. <So. laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Uh, All right, that's our show. Mason Rudolph. So there it is. That is our show. We'll be back Friday morning. Uh, college football season's getting to a close, so we're going to have some fun uh, talking about, I think we're going to get into some of the best of the decade type stuff because the decade's ending, as is college football. So we have a lot to get into on the Friday morning show. Don't forget, Saturday we'll be at Stanford. Come find us on the Grove, 8 a.m. in the tailgate, guys. Village for Connor. It's Matt. We'll talk to you all real soon. 